0: You're listening to Sales in Asia, your gateway to sales practices in Asia, and I'm your host, Benny Tan. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Andrew Shuttleworth of Agorize on the topic startups and innovation in Asia. Thanks for staying with us and we hope you've enjoyed part one. In this episode, we will continue to learn what it takes for startups to succeed, Discuss selling to startups versus enterprises, and selling as a startup. Let's jump right in. I think you bring up a very, uh, you know, very relevant point about uh, how startups can be successful, and I think which is. Really around the ecosystem. So Singapore, for one, uh, is uh, obviously investing a lot in startups, and they have provide they are providing a lot of initiatives uh, to to support the basically to grow and to enhance the the startup ecosystem here. So, so many see uh, Singapore as uh, like the next Silicon Valley, and if you look at the number of uh, startups that are coming out of Singapore and also in Southeast Asia, I think. Uh, it's not it's not too far from from the truth Outside of Singapore though you know we have we're seeing uh, a lot of a very healthy growth of startups uh, in countries like uh, Indonesia you know um, Vietnam and and so on right if you were to sort of like stack rank uh, the ecosystem startups ecosystem in Southeast Asia you know how would you rank let's say the top three?
1: Yeah that's a, that's a, a very difficult question to answer um i i did do a report on the um, tokyo startup ecosystem um way back in 2013 um and there are other ecosystem reports out there so i think if you're if you're rating the ecosystem in general there's a lot of different factors you have to look at um, and I looked at things like um, the ability to work with corporates, um, the 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 banking system, the ability to get funding, uh, the availability of of networks, the availability of people who have kind of less startups um, in in successful startups and then are able to go in and start new startups or or mentor or invest in startups. Um, so i'd say naturally um kind of singapore and maybe even japan are a little bit further down that curve mm. um the good thing about uh, indonesia maybe thailand and and vietnam is that those economies are are growing fast right. um and so there's there's a good local market for them to to continue to grow and thrive i think um the challenge that we'll see ahead of them is how many of those companies are able to grow outside their local economies and maybe grow into big global unicorns. Mm. Um, and I think that's still the question for many, many companies uh, in Asia. So I haven't really answered your question there in terms of the, the top three. Um, if I was going to do a startup, I, I mean, I definitely look at, at Singapore. Right. Um, I mean, the rule of law, the um, ability to get banking services easily, um, all the support networks here make Singapore a great place to start a startup and you're, you're in the center of South Asia so that you can address those of the markets as you grow, right. um, even though Singapore, of course, itself is a, is a small market. Uh, for Japan, um, I'd say it, it's difficult. I mean, as we know, Japan's a very unique market um, and... If you're designing a product or service for Japan, it's not necessarily going to work in the rest of the world. Uh, We've seen very few um, Japanese software startups um, come out of Japan and be successful overseas. Mm -hmm. Um, And so while Japan is good uh, for maybe the local market, I'm not sure I'd necessarily go there if I wanted to try and build a a global startup.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay, so I think maybe it's a you know a, may, may perhaps that question is a little bit unfair to StackRamp, but it's just a it's just a view, right? So and I think we're very well well aware that uh, startups do need to have a healthy uh, ecosystem, and you brought up a few a few good points about you know what makes uh, a good ecosystem, including things like uh, access to the funding you know, and so on, right? Um, the now so what are the obstacles do you see you know, the startups facing? Because I think you, you brought up a point about, okay, it's one thing to actually start a company and another thing to actually get funding to to operate it, but it's a totally different ballgame when it comes to making it successful in terms of uh, generating revenue. And uh, let's face it, I think a number of the uh, well-funded startups uh, are not profitable anyway if you take a look at companies like Grab and so on, right? But, they do generate revenue so let's kind of like switch gears and talk about um, something that's very relevant which is around sales. So what do you think, uh, in, in your view, in your experience, uh some of the biggest obstacles of startups uh, when it comes to generating revenue?
1: Wow, well, uh, big question. Um... I think uh, sorry to ask first, you all the tough questions today, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a bit. <laughs> I think the first one is Are you really uh, have you really identified the right markets, the right problem? Um, is it a scalable problem to, to solve? Um, and I think that's the challenge that a lot of startups will go through, and it, it depends who's really started up the startup. Uh, many people startup because they have knowledge or experience of a particular area, or they have a, a personal um, issue or problem that they they like to address. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you really have to look at is that is that a scalable problem uh, to solve? And you know, we I say that, but we we always look at okay, a startup should go. Uh, grow to be big and huge and uh, a unicorn, but maybe that's not necessarily uh, the right path as well. There's there's certain validity in uh, having a startup which has a small but uh, but profitable market, right? And maybe that's just a, a stereotype we need to break. Is that okay? If you're running a startup, you should be aiming for uh, for unicorn system, uh, status right. because there's, there's only certain markets that are are of the size where you can grow a startup to to be a unicorn. Um, so i think addressing the right market the right problem um making sure that customers are actually willing to solve that problem because there's, there's a lot of problems but customers are not always willing to pay um anything to solve them or pay what it needs uh, to solve them um so then after you've kind of been through that challenge, then if you identify that the next one is then growing your 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 sales force but i i think if you've Identified the right problem, um, and you've you've identified the right market. Growing your sales force is is relatively less difficult because mm. there's kind of proven models to to do that. Right.
0: Of course, that's a very good point, right? Number one is of course motivation behind why you are having a startup in the, in the first place. You know, like, are you there in it just for the money, or do you really have a problem to solve that um, everybody you know faces, right? Um, So, if I were to take a look at, let's say, tech startups, software startups, for example, but particularly, right? So, in the US, a lot of the software startups, you know, tech stacks and so on, they do fairly well simply because uh, if if they're actually selling in the US, right? And, uh, you know, I saw a, um, I was kind of looking at the annual report of a company like Salesforce where... They reported that uh, more than ninety five percent of all their revenue are still coming from the U.S. And uh, if they do sell in Asia at all, uh, a high percentage of it are still coming from uh purchases made outside of the U.S. That is implemented here, right? So that brings me to another point because uh, one is like, okay, is there a problem to solve, and uh, is uh, the other is particularly in Southeast Asia where labor is a little bit cheaper. You know, outside of Singapore, of course, that really uh plays against um, let's say you know startups who are trying to create you know great software and things like that, right? So do you have you have you come across um you know situations where startups actually um uh, are are starting it because they believe that uh, if I build it that they will come and they find that actually there's really no market you know <laughs> in it
1: yeah I, I there's kind of a few parts to your question there I think there is a, a challenge selling uh, software as a service in in Asia there's definitely more price sensitivity and like you say people will mm. try to work out other solutions um, whereas in in the US and maybe Europe I think the market's more mature and, and people say okay it makes sense for me to use this if we're going to be more more efficient mm. um and I think that does have an impact on on the business here but um the tech startups are not the only type of startup right the the SaaS, right. SaaS software startups there's startups in uh, retail, there's startups in in health tech, there's uh, startups in in manufacturing, mm. um, in, in building technology. So I think there's a lot of different areas where people could potentially start startups here. Um, I just want to touch on one other point, which is is important as well, because you did talk about the US market, and I think that's a, a key reason why we see a lot of startups coming out of the US is that they've they've got a market. If we just look at population of 350 billion there, right. and it's, it's from a, a buyer's perspective it's essentially the same market right english-speaking yes. market the same same rule of law um and you can fly kind of from city to city very easily and and kind of relatively small cultural differences uh whereas in in south asia um you've got tens of countries uh, very different cultures different mm-hmm. uh rules different even taxation systems and so while the body is a large number of people. Um, it, there's much more complexity Um, for selling here and uh, complexity brings costs. So it's harder for a, a startup to scale across the region of South Asia compared to a startup scaling across the US. Of course, scaling across the US initially will give you the scale to then expand globally.
0: Right. And I think it would most probably be the same as well. Let's say even startups in Asia trying to scale uh, across Asia. So like the example that you pointed out, you know, if you want you know, startups, let's say in Japan, um. Uh, could have a difficulty, let say, is trying to scale, you know, outside of Japan into into the rest of Southeast Asia, and similarly, actually, anyone thinking of entering into Japan into into the Japanese markets would at least have to be able to, uh, you know, to, to cater to the very unique needs of the uh, of the market in terms of language and culture and uh, and so on, right? Okay. So you know, it's sales. Or doing business in Asia, whether or not you're a startup is uh, by no means uh, an, an easy thing to do if you're thinking of scaling outside of the country that you operate in, right? Right. So let's talk a little bit about this, about uh, sales, right? Uh, so you know, you know that uh, you and I we have met because of my background in uh, sales performance consulting, and we and you have managed uh sales teams and you're still managing sales teams, you know, that are selling into uh, different countries and different uh, cultures and businesses. Uh, what's your take about the uh, sales in Asia in general? I just I know it's very very high level, but uh, what's your take? In
1: yeah. I think you you really need to have local people on the ground who understand uh, the market. Um, You can't really, um, maybe there's some exceptions, but I don't think you could, say, be based in Singapore and and be selling um, throughout Asia, uh, just with, say, for example, a a Singapore entity. Those people on the ground could be partners, and a lot of people do sell through partners, um, and and that's a, a very a very valid model for, for many businesses, um, particularly because those those partnerships um, come with relationships and so the partners have established local relationships.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, at the same time, it can be difficult to make those partnerships work. So you have to understand how, how local partnerships work. And really, you have to find the right partner who has an equal incentive uh, to sell your product. Um, because if they're just going to put your product in their catalog amongst other other products that they're offering, you're probably not going to see much, much traction. Um, And so there are companies you can work with here to help you uh, build out your partnership model. Um, But yeah, a couple of kind of a couple of snippets there about sales in Asia.
0: Okay, so so let me ask a very, uh, more specific question. So let's talk about the difference between selling to startups uh, in Asia you know, versus selling to uh, established uh, enterprises. And of course, you know, because uh, you know, there's so many startups coming up, and of course, you know, we uh, there are a lot of sellers who are out there trying to sell their products and services to help these startups you know make more money, right, and to be more successful. So is there a is a, a get different approach between let's say selling to a startup versus selling to a um, an established a company or
1: enterprise uh yeah so for early stage startups i would say there's not much point selling them because they're they're small and they're they don't have much money uh, they're going to they're going to be it dep- of course it depends what you're selling but um right. generally startups are, are kind of scrambling the Later uh, stage startups, um, I think, if you're again, it, it really depends on your product or service. But if you're looking for someone who's maybe just got their series A, B, or C mm-hmm. or beyond, um, they have a lot of money in the bank, and they're going to need um, they're going to need money to scale up. Um, so there will be some certain products and services that would be ideal for them. I mean, uh, recruiting solutions would be one because they they need to hire and hire fast so that they can build up and and get the ROI on their um, investments. Uh, they're not always going to be ready to um, buy, um, say, let's say SaaS and, and services mm-hmm. as well, because uh, mm-hmm. they are going to make very strict decisions on on uh, what they spend their money on. Right. Um when you look at larger corporates, I mean, it's more of a, a traditional sales process. Um, I think uh, you really have to, um, I just, just, I guess, sell in the in the, the traditional way. But um, maybe this is, I'm kind of jumping ahead to one of your questions here. But um, mm-hmm. what is the difficulty selling um, in in the, the current world? And I think one of the difficulties selling is that buyers are are bombarded with sellers right. um, and so as a seller it's, it's hard to get time um, in front of a, a buyer mm. um, and buyers are also far more educated than they used to be right they can go out and, and find a lot of the information themselves um, depending on what they they need um, so it, a, there's a lot of luck um, I would say these days because just finding the right buyer um, at the right time um, when they haven't already found a solution that they need um, is is a little bit more of a, of a challenge. Um, and so that kind of, I guess, plays onto the importance of, of marketing where you have to make sure that your awareness of your products, your brand is kind of out there in the market. You're, you're building the connections on an ongoing basis so that when companies are ready to buy something, they already are aware of your products and you you end up on the shortlist um, before your salespeople even approach them.
0: Thanks for that because I think uh, clearly there is a difference between uh, deciding how you know um whether to sell to startups and how to do it you know versus let's say you know the traditional uh, enterprises right and even with startups you know you have to you know you have to consider whether how early they are in the startup uh and uh, whether or not um, they have really taken money from the VCs and they're under pressure to actually start performing right so that yeah. also those are. Can I just add,
1: yeah. I said one more thing there that a lot of companies provide uh, programs specifically for startups where they provide kind of heavy discounts or or even free versions of their of their software or or whatever service they're offering, and that's mm-hmm. a that's an upfront investment. Uh, but it's almost like the VC model, right? You mm-hmm. you provide your products or service cheap or free to a larger number of of startups. Mm-hmm. Um, once they're hooked on it, if they really start to grow, they're going to stick with your product um by and large and then you could end up with some really big customers when they're they're huge so I would say if you're looking at startups and and selling to startups your your best bet is creating a startup program that will get you in front of them so that when they when some of them grow to be really big they become uh, loyal customers of yours
0: Right, I think it's thank you. That's I think it's really valuable advice because, um, you know, obviously it's all about understanding your customer profile and whether or not it's actually worth the investment. And of course, there will always some risks. You also also point out the. Um, raised a very good point about uh, how basically how change how sales have changed uh, throughout the years. That selling is no longer just about uh, relationship, but also being uh, visible and having the mind share first, right? Uh, before you actually even engage them, because customers are already bombarded uh, all the time. You know, every time they open anything anything, open a computer, they get uh, all the junk emails, spam, and they go on LinkedIn, they get all sorts of stuff and all and and so on, right? Yeah. It's obvious that sales is getting, selling is actually getting more and more challenging, and especially now if, if you're and if you, um, include the dynamics of uh, selling in different cultures to different people in different countries, uh, that's going to uh, multiply that uh, difficulty by by that much, right? If you were if you were advising uh companies who are planning to uh, to have an operation here within Asia, what would be the top two or three advice you would give them in considering selling or starting up operations in Asia?
1: So I think you, you first of all, have to understand each of the markets and have to understand the opportunity uh, in your market. So hmm. um, you're going to go by market size to start off with. And um, I mean, Singapore is a great place to base your business, to kind of establish the legal entity, kind of get people here as you can understand the lay of the land. After that, um, you're going to be looking at the the other bigger markets to sell your products. So Indonesia, Thailand, uh, maybe Vietnam, maybe maybe Malaysia. And I'm talking kind of Southeast Asia here. Of course, you've got uh, Korea and, and, and Japan and, and potentially China as well. And we didn't really touch on, on China before, but I was going to say that China is kind of like the uh, America of Asia, right? In terms of, of market size, mm. um, it, it's but it's also a very specific market that you have to invest in and, and understand the potential there. So I think each business has to understand where the greatest opportunity is for their products and service and really understand uh, that local market, Um Start off there. Um, I wouldn't say start off in, in more than a, a couple of markets, maybe mac- maximum three, of course, depending on the level of the investment you have and the size of your organization. Um, and really start up slowly, tr- try to understand the market and see if you, you can get uh, traction there, see what sort of sales channels and sales methods are going to work for you there um, and and build out. But I think the key point is really understand your markets. Don't just, don't just kind of, expect to uh, plunk a body there and, and expect to start selling. In meeting
0: those uh, these sort of uh, needs, you know, where does, uh, does Agorize uh, have a role to play in, let's say, helping companies to uh, even think about uh, starting up here?
1: Um, I mean, and I was an indirect role. So for, for startups, we, we run open innovation challenges that I talked about earlier. Um, and they're open to startups uh, globally. Um, so if it if it's, say for example a, a company in Hong Kong that's running a, an open Innovation challenge that's a great way um, to explore the potential of the of the Hong Kong market um, they will probably want you to be local at some point um can depend but by and large they're looking for a partner they can they can start to work with um and and certainly in Singapore there's there's so many opportunities uh, to work with with companies in Singapore, not just local entities, but global entities who have their innovation centers here. Right. Um, and as I mentioned, Enterprise Singapore is really keen to see overseas companies establish their presence here that as the basis of their Asian business. So there's, there's kind of support programs um, that Enterprise Singapore will give you. So again, a long answer to your question, but yeah, look out for the open innovation programs um, and, and see what's a good, a good fit for you there.
0: You've just heard part two of three of our session with Andrew Shuttleworth. We hope you enjoyed this episode and in the concluding episode, we get to know Andrew a little more through a series of quickfire questions. See you there.